Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Pete Callender here. And uh, I just always want to give that sort of disclaimer before we chat with my friend, Dr. Bill Forsten, noted author, best-selling author, uh, and uh, a professor of history. Actually, little-known fact, Dr. Bill is the official historian of the Pete Callender Show. Dr. Bill, how are you? My God, Pete, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm doing all right. Uh, he's also a professor of history up at Montreat College in uh, Buncombe yeah. County. Um, and so you still are, right? Correct? I'm not... Uh, yeah. Okay, good. I even got a new title, Faculty Fellow. A Faculty Fellow? Yeah. Nice. Yes, faculty Fellow. You got to say it correctly. Fellow. Fellow. <laughs> okay. Do they, uh, do they train you on that when they bestow the title upon you? Oh, yes. And they gave me a fancy hat, too. <laughs> Very nice. Good for you. All righty. So uh, for folks who may not be aware, although it, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure most people are aware, especially in our audience, but uh, the One Second After series, right, this was based on your initial book, 2009, One Second mm-hmm. After was about, uh, the, you tell the story, uh, basically centered around Black Mountain uh, in, in western, western North Carolina, um, about what happens if an EMP goes off. And it's just sort of this very localized view of how life changes, right? Um, yep. 2009. So first, EMP attack, what is it? And uh, how'd you uh, get the idea to, to, you know, to kill everybody uh, with that? Okay. <laughs> well, well let, let's start with explaining it. EMP, uh, shorthand for electromagnetic pulse weapon, it's created by gener- uh, detonating a small nuclear warhead about 200 miles above the continental United States. When it blows, it sets up uh, an electronic interference called the Compton, C-O-M-P-T-O-N, Compton effect, cascades down to the Earth's surface, hits all the electrical wiring, which now serve as antennas, feeds it into our power grid, shorts the grid out. Worst-case scenario... Three small weapons, eastern, central, western United States, shuts the entire grid down across the United States. One second after, <laughs> we're in the blank hole. Yeah. Because uh, estimates, well, congressional studies have shown that upwards of 90% of the population would die within a year after such an event. Big fear I have, North Korea, Iran, third world players uh, decide to what they could do with us today so the emp goes off it knocks out basically anything that's got a microprocessor anything like that's plugged in all of the, all of the systems that we rely on all of the electrical grid it all goes down uh we're in the stone age and um uh we would not we would not adjust very well and so in your the first book uh that's one second after and that was the original that was the bestseller and it launched the the series and then you you put two more books out after that and this one now and it's out now right it's called the final day which uh, actually uh, there's a fourth one <laughs> you know <laughs> wait what did i say five fourth there's... Uh, uh, there, there's four books the second book is one year after third book final day 
And I chose that title because I wanted to tell my publisher I never want to work on this again. It's too depressing. <laughs> I thought but that. then he made me an offer I couldn't refuse, so I did a fourth one. Okay. We have in August. Okay. So we had the final day. Right now, it's five years after. Yes, it's five years after. Okay. So, you, so your message was not received, obviously, um, uh, by the publicist, <laughs> by the publisher, rather. Um, so, yeah. five years after, so we we rejoin. This is John Matherson, um, and uh, he's the sort of the protagonist. Uh, and and people ask you this question, I think, often, but I think it's worth uh, retelling, which is uh, why you chose to do the story as you did. It wasn't like a, uh, like a Clancy novel or something like, you know, mm-hmm. jet setting all over the world and you have all of this insight. Like one of the questions that you have in the book and people ask, and there's always like rumors and stuff like what happened. But I think you correctly sort of point out that nobody really knew because right. why would you, how would you know? Well, you know, when I first started working on this series, uh, Oh, 2004, 2005, <laughs> I got stuck in the Clancy model as well, you know, jet-setting around the world, our hero. And then I was at a Montreal, I, I always had to go to the graduations. It was 2005, and I'm sitting there sweltering in 90-degree heat, looking at my graduates and the audience, and it suddenly hit me. It, I, I call it God hit me on the side of the head moment. Right about us, right about what would happen in a small town if things suddenly went bad. So I set the story in Black Mountain, in my college, Montreal College. Yeah. And you tell personal stories, how people interact, how they rebuild, and what the practical implications are when mm-hmm. there's no power and mm-hmm. uh, and everything, and nothing works. And people who are on medication start dying. Uh, what happens in the hospitals um, and how people try to rebuild. You have the, you know, people taking advantage of other people. You have the organization of, you know, gangs and such and and governments and so uh so what's five years after taking a look at well as the title suggests how do we how are we going five years afterwards and the story goes from there and maybe take in a bit of an inspiration from the recent pandemic what would happen if disease really seriously started to break out how do you control it how do you stop it from spreading in such an environment hmm um, is so this is also, it's not just EMP there. Uh, there is also, we've talked about this before in the past, right? The, the sun could also do this to us as well. Yeah. Let, let's, let's get really powered. <laughs> uh, uh, it's called a CME coronal mass ejection. It's, uh, generated large solar spots, uh, sunspots explode and, and it's happening all the time. Uh, almost every other day, we are being hit by a, a small CME. But every 100 to 150 years, there's a mega CME. Uh, the one that everybody talked about was the Carrington event, which in 1859 actually shorted out the Victorian Internet. It shut down telegraphy stations. Railroad ties actually caught on fire from uh, the juice that was now passing through the old iron rails of the 1850s. So, yeah, there's a different way of doing it. The really scary thing with a CME, it could be a global event. Mm-hmm. Um, this also comes up every now and again in Congress because uh, people who have read your book and you're kind of 
sometimes dubbed like the godfather of the prepper movement because Mm -hmm. people read your book and got so scared and then they started prepping for these days. And Mm -hmm. um, there are things people can do like Faraday cages and stuff. Now they say, I mean, it's not like some of this stuff is now like, it's not simply in the realm of the, the tinfoil hat wearing people, you know, this is the, the, people take these types of precautions with their cell phones and stuff. Um, But what can people do at like the individual level, but also at a congressional level? Well, you know, Pete, how long have we known each other? 20 years now? Uh, yeah, well, 15, I guess, yeah. Yeah, and remember when we first started talking about it, uh, the average response was tinfoil hat. Yeah. But across the last 15 years, there's been an increasing public awareness. Item number one, everybody should have at least a month's worth of emergency supplies on hand. Food, medication, and yeah, that, that that's your personal choice, uh, public safety personal and public safety. Uh, we need, I was just down in Charleston on Monday, and I was talking with a consortium of electrical engineers and such, and I asked, how many people in Charleston are ready to deal with the next hurricane if it hits tonight? I said, maybe one or two in ten. That's Charleston. Mm-hmm. If I lived down there, I'd have a year's worth of supplies. <laughs> people are not prepared. It's called expectation of normalcy. Work yesterday, work today. Oh, if worse comes to worse, FEMA will be here, and I'll be back online in a day or two. Well, it might be longer than that. Mm-hmm. It might be a very long time. What about at a governmental level? <laughs> you got your delete button ready for my Tourette syndrome? Yeah, I'll try to get the bleeper. Yeah, yeah, uh, nothing. Yeah. Uh, okay, we, I don't want to get into politics here, but the Trump administration, about three or four months before uh, the end of his term, he mandated DOD, DOE, and others present a comprehensive review of what needs to be done uh, to prevent a uh, CME or an EMP from happening. Guess who uh, shut the whole thing down on the day he took office? Brandon. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Joe Biden. You know, we're, spend, we're spending a trillion dollars on so-called green energy. We're not spending one dime on resilience, on beefing up an electrical grid. Right now, the electrical grid we have is on average about 40 years old. Ancient components. It's, it, it really is insane. The, the example I give, let's say it was the evening of December 7th, 1941, Joint Chiefs of Staff meeting with the president. And somebody points out, Mr. President, I think we're screwed. You see, all our aircraft carriers are made in Japan and all our planes are made in Germany. That's the situation we're in right now. Almost all our major electrical components are made, guess where? China. Yep, exactly. Yeah. We lost the industrial base to quickly rebuild and also to stockpile uh, extra equipment. 30, 40 years ago. So we're just hanging on. Uh, one of the top executives I talked to said, every day I go in the office and I'm thinking, this thing is run on spit and Band-Aids. Well, that's encouraging. Um, yeah, 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 great, isn't it? Well, happy day on the <laughs> That's right. Uh, Dr. William Forston, the name of the book is Five Years After. Um, it is available. Also, you're going to be at the uh, Heritage Life Skills event at the end of July, right? Uh, yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will probably see you there.
So great. It's been too long, Pete. Yes, absolutely. Go get his book, read his books, and get prepared. And uh, Dr. Bell, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. God bless, Pete. Take care of yourself. You too. You too. We'll see you soon. Oh, hey, real quick. Before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Uh, on Twitter, at Pete Callender, where I have this message. It's a Pete tweet. From MAGA, American Pitbull. Pete, please explain what the life skills event is regarding Dr. Bill Forstian. Uh, happy to do so. Every year, uh, there is a shop up in, um, uh, in, uh, up in the mountains called Carolina Readiness Supply, and they put on what's called the Heritage Life Skills event. And uh, Bill's been going to it for years, and like it, they thought they would have like a couple dozen people show up the first year or something. And they had like 60 or so. And then like, or no, they had like 600. And then the next year was like thousands. And what it is, it teaches all these different types of skills and classes. Um, the, hang on a second. The website is carolinareadiness.com. There it is. And... Heritage Life Skills Events, and uh, you can actually get his book there, too. Um, here's the schedule. So it's uh, to, 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 to do Friday, July 21st, 7 o'clock. It starts, uh, and then all day Saturday. Yeah, and and then uh, through, like, yeah, through the afternoon on Sunday through, like, 4 o'clock. And so they've got all sorts of things, you know, preparedness types of things, but also fermenting, um, medical checkpoints, how to collect, cleanse, and store water, um, prepping on a budget, simple prepping, communications planning, uh, building a, a, a cache, bring a flash drive, homesteading food storage, um, just look at writing your food plan, your food security plan, uh, getting ready, not arrested, gun laws for preppers. Paul Valone's going to do that one from, uh, grassroots North Carolina, I believe. Um, do it yourself, food storage alternatives, um, uh, poultices, tinctures, and salves. Mm, supplies to always carry, bugging out, getting home gear and bags. So, yeah, all sorts of stuff. But Dr. Bill is going to be doing a speech 730 um, on Saturday. Yeah, so you can check out the the, the rundown on that. And uh, they sell the tickets for, you know, single events and for uh, for multiple days or whatever. And it's all at carolinareadiness.com. Um Let's see, another email here from Stan about the DeSantis plan um, we were talking about last hour. If DeSantis keeps this up, he might get indicted before the election. 
That's, <laughs> that's right. Announcing your plan publicly to overthrow the king in advance rarely works. Um, well, so th- I did think about that. Like you're painting a big bullseye now, right, on your chest for the for these intelligence and law enforcement agencies that you're like, hey, I'm I'm going to rip your departments down to the studs and rebuild them. Um, and so, yeah, that might, that might put a target on you, but also it's also kind of like, you know, going public for protection. Now they can't take them out because, because it would seem so obvious, right? Plus I've been told he's not going to win. So, um, all right. Uh, all this, oh, regarding the Supreme court. Okay. Jeff says, All this misdirection on the ethics requirements for justices stems from the hatred Democrats have for this country. The Democrats who are actually communists, the Democrats who are actually communists, hate the country and the rule of law. The communists want the law to be what they say it is when they say it. The pandemic should have given us a dose of reality when their custom-designed virus was unleashed on the world. Remember the narrative. There's no argument regarding the so-called facts, a.k.a. science and data. The pandemic was nirvana for the commies as they were able to dictate economic suffering, unlawful vaccination mandates, as well as school shutdowns with state-backed punishments for noncompliance. No laws, just do what we say and thank us for protecting you. All of this was done, or sorry, all of this was going on while the NIH, CDC, DOJ, DOD, FBI et al. were lying about the virus recipe, the origins of the COVID-19 release, and gain-of-function enhancements. The commies simply want control of the Supreme Court so they can subvert the U.S. Constitution and take away our rights under the mantra of lawful actions. Happy Friday. (laughs) Thank you, Jeff. Yes. Well, look, there's a reason why the saying ignorance is bliss exists, right? Amazon confirmed it shut down a guy's smart home. They confirmed that they did this to a person. Did you know that they could do this? They shut down a man's smart home after a delivery truck driver accused the homeowner of making a racist remark through his smart doorbell. So I guess a ring or whatever, right, in that... Although I think it's, I think it's actually, he calls it Eufy, E-U-F-Y, which I guess is, it doesn't matter. Got one of the the camera doorbells, guy from Amazon shows up uh, to this home. It's in Baltimore, Maryland. The homeowner's name is Brandon Jackson. And the driver comes up, drops the package and claims that... The homeowner said a racial slur to him through the doorbell. And so Amazon, according to Brandon Jackson, locked him out of his smart devices. He explained many of the devices in his home, including his lights, right? They're all connected to his Amazon Echo, which he was unable to access for a week. He explained, this guy, by the way, this guy, Brandon Jackson, He works for Microsoft. He's a tech guy. So he actually, um, he actually had built in uh, fail safes and such. So he had workarounds and he was able to, 
to you know rip stuff out and and reprogram different things or whatever. However, if you weren't at his level of expertise in the tech field, just be aware. Yeah, Amazon can shut down everything connected to your house based on an accusation from a driver who said that Brandon Jackson said something, said a racial slur through the ring doorbell. Uh, Jackson noted, however, oh, so he said he explained the, the accusations were not true. Jackson says it didn't happen. And it seems really unlikely to have happened because, quote, most delivery drivers in my area share the same race as me and my family. He's black, which is a story, which is a, a, a not mentioned in this story here at theblaze.com. But I went and found the guy. I went and looked him up, found him online on LinkedIn. He's got a picture of himself, and he's black. <laughs> and so was the driver. He also noted nobody was home when the alleged comment was made. He then went back and reviewed the footage. And his doorbell, this Ufi doorbell, actually has an automated response. And so it was the AI that called him. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't that. It was. No, it didn't even say that. It said, excuse me, can I help you? That's what it said. He has it on video. He also noted that the driver was walking away and wearing headphones at the time. So he probably misheard what the doorbell's automatic reply was. He sent, so Jackson sends the video evidence to Amazon, took several days to review it. And during that time, though, he was locked out of everything that was connected to the Echo. While they did their investigation, took six days, and he finally regained access to his account. I don't know why anybody uses those things. Um, but then again, I don't know a lot of things like this. In the book 1984, citizens on the, of the fictional nation of Oceania were under constant government surveillance, including in their own homes. Devices called telescreens displayed propaganda, recorded people's actions, and it allowed the government to monitor behavior, uh, in, even in what you would expect to be the most private place you know, right? Your home. A newly released survey by the Cato Institute, 2,000 Americans... And they were asked whether they favor or oppose the government installing surveillance cameras in every household for safety, obviously, to reduce domestic violence, to reduce abuse and other illegal activity, like not wearing a mask. Not surprisingly, few Americans, only 14 percent, support the idea. 14 percent. That seems high. That doesn't seem good. 14%. Are you, listen to the question again. Do you want a camera that the government operates in your house? And you know it's not going to be just one. They're like dogs. You got to get at least two, keep each other company. So you're talking about wiring up every home with cameras so government can spy on you whenever they want to. So Big Brother is always watching. And 14% of Americans are okay with this. Americans under the age of 30 
they are driving this number. Yeah, they're, they're three in 10 of them. Three in 30%, that's 29%, 29% of Gen Zs say uh, the government installing surveillance cameras in every household in order to reduce domestic violence, abuse, and other illegal activity, they support it. You go to the next age group, which would be millennials, I guess, 30 to 44, and that drops down to uh, 20%. And then Gen X, the best, and then everybody else is 6%. Guys, what are you doing? What are you even doing? What? I mean, millennials, I'm like, I'm uh, 20% of you guys? Come on. We don't know how much of this preference for security over privacy or freedom is something unique to the generation or simply the result of youth. Well, I mean, they are stupid, so. Uh, possible. I'm just, I'm just kidding. It's possible that increased support for government surveillance among the young has common roots with what Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt describe in The Coddling of the American Mind which is that young people seem more willing to prioritize safety over ensuring robust freedom. Other demographics also differ in their tolerance of government surveillance in their homes. African-Americans, 33%. Hispanic-Americans, 25%. They're all more likely than white Americans and Asian-Americans to support the surveillance in their homes. Democrats are more likely to support it than Republicans. But still, 11% of Republicans support it. 17% of Democrats. The issue does not divide uh, 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 between men and women, though. They're basically the same. <laughs> it's important to emphasize the overwhelming majority of Americans across demographic groups, though, oppose the government surveilling people in their homes. But it is relevant to note the higher acceptance among younger generations. If the trends continue the U.S. may confront a very different privacy landscape in the future. It almost makes me wish for the EMP. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's military surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. I want to give you some uplifting news here, some upbeat news. Here we go. More Americans say they are very conservative or conservative on social issues than said so in 2022. A 5% shift Went from 33% to 38%. And it's up eight points since 2021. So there's been an eight-point swing in people identifying as conservative or very conservative. At the same time, the percentage saying that their views, their social views are very liberal or liberal has, has dipped. That's now down to 29%. The last time this many Americans said that they were socially conservative was 2012. That was when uh, 
consistently more U.S. adults identified as conservative rather than liberal on social issues. The increase in conservative identification on social issues over the past two years is seen among nearly all political and demographic subgroups. Republicans show one of the largest increases, going from 60% to 74%, which kind of makes sense. Independents also show an uptick by five points, 24% to 29%, and no change among Democrats, 10%. That's where they 10% identify their social views as conservative. Since 2021, there have been double-digit increases in conservative social ideology among middle-aged adults, those between the ages of 30 and 64. So at the same time, older Americans' ideology on social issues is stable. But there has been an increase in conservative social ideology among the youths. When Americans are asked to describe their views on economic issues, 44%, so 38% on the social issues, 44% on economic issues, say they are conservative or very conservative. Um, The percentage that say they're liberal is 21%, moderate say 33%. Americans have consistently been more likely to say that they're conservative on economic issues than on social issues, right? You hear that all the time, right? Maybe you say it. Oh, on economic issues, I'm, I'm fiscally conservative, socially liberal, right? You hear that all the time. But now you've got, you've got people that are expressing more support for conservative social positions. Why do you think that is? For most of the past eight years, Americans were just about as likely to say they were liberal as conservative on social issues. This year, there is a more obvious conservative advantage. The shift is mostly due to increasing social conservatism among Republicans at a time when social issues are prominent in the national public debate. Having the argument matters. Having these arguments matter. And it matters. And doing so with a persuasive argument, well, that's even more helpful. (laughs) It is way more helpful to have a persuasive argument when going into the battle. I recommend it. Two six-packs of Shiner, 99-cent butane lighter. Lucky strikes and a fifth of Patron Ice down that igloo cooler Take a guess at all to do her I can feel a good one coming on Throw in Ray Wiley Hubbard Sing along to Redneck Mother Any blues I had before are gone Another working week is over No chance of staying sober I can feel a good one coming on Check me out. I got even more news. Good news for you. 15 years ago, a new generation of young voters propelled Obama to victory. 15 years later, they're not so young and not quite so democratic. 
Three blondes in a ragtop Mustang Followed us down to the lake And didn't have to think about that too long Skinny dipping in the bright moonlight Situation couldn't be more right I can feel a good one coming on It's true. The New York Times is even reporting it. Millennials, particularly the older millennials, have shifted to the right. They're they're not quite so democratic. It appears largest among the oldest, quote, young voters, the older millennials who came of age in a very different political era from today. I welcome you. All right, have a great weekend. See you Monday. Don't break anything while I'm gone. Oh,